I, I don't have to have gray hair to be really good at my job. I can be a fantastic attorney and just be a little bit younger than the rest of the crowd. So people were super receptive to it. And I realized, you know, maybe, maybe the millennial, I guess, generation, because, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, oh, they only eat avocado toast and they're, you know, they're lazy and they're procrastinators and whatnot. Like, well, maybe there needs to be a voice of somebody coming in there saying, hey, the younger guy, I, I, I work hard. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I am your host, Megan Henry, and today I'm joined again by my co-host, Nate Bolander. Hi, Nate. How you doing? Good morning. Welcome back. Mm-hmm. Two in a row. Let's do it. <laughs> so today we have on um, Matt Margolis, who he's an attorney down in South Florida. Um, and I was really excited to have Matt come on because he's he's marketed himself on LinkedIn as Matt, the millennial attorney. And I just think it's like super like good. I, I like his marketing um, and he does really um, funny posts use memes a lot and kind of lightens things up. Um, so I thought he'd be great to come on and kind of talk about his, his approach to how he handles cases and marketing and just, you know, he's just an all around like fun guy to talk to. Yeah. I think everyone should check out his content. It's so, it's so cutting edge and hip and funny and not attorney-esque at all. I think in a, in a sense. Yeah. Attorneys aren't boring guys. I swear. <laughs> so with that, let's just bring him in. Hi, Matt. Thanks for coming on to this episode of The Defense of Arrest. I'm so happy to have you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on here. And, you know, for our our listeners, uh, I, you know, Matt and I talked a few weeks ago because he I found him on LinkedIn because he promotes himself as the millennial lawyer. <laughs> and I was like, what better person to have on the podcast than, than you? And you have some great great content on LinkedIn that is both funny and, you know, appealing. So welcome. I'm so happy. That. I'm so happy to have you have you on. Um, but before we jump into, you know, you being the, the millennial attorney <laughs> uh, for the masses, um, let's just talk about you and how you got here and, you know, you know, how you decided to, you know, go into this career, this legal career that we're, we're all in. Was it something that you always thought you were going to do? This meme career, this meme and, and, and TikToks and funny posts. I, um, so no, no, I didn't. I, I'll tell you the truth. I, I went up to Tallahassee. I went to school up in Florida State, go Knowles. Um, and I got a political science degree, just like everyone who, almost everyone who wants to go to law school. But my goal was to go into government. I wanted to work maybe in government, around government. Uh, I ended up getting a master's in public policy. And while doing that, I used to see lawyers show up in front of the Florida legislature and, you know, argue on behalf of bills or against bills. And I'm like, oh, these guys get it. These guys understand this. Cause, and they, and someone would come up to be like, oh, I tried this case X years ago and it was under this, uh, the previous law. And, and this was the result. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but obviously you're pretty, you know, you know what you're talking about. You have this level of cloud. I wanted to have that knowledge and perspective. So I, took my LSAT that last semester of my master's. I went to law school, also Florida State. Um, I, I, I uh, got the law degree. I ended up working in government for a, an agency. Um, I was with my then girlfriend at the time, now my wife, who, guys, I've outkicked my coverage. She's probably, <laughs> I'm, I, I, this is a podcast. I don't know if people could see me, but I mean, she is, for the listeners, she's much prettier than I, much smarter as well. So they, they I, can see, I, they can see you. Do you have a picture? Oh, even better. 
I find a picture quick. Um, give so us her full name so we can all research her on Facebook and do all the yeah. right. I'll give her contact info at the <laughs> end. I'll give her her, SSN give her business card. Yeah, please, why do I have you. all the? Why do I have all these new friend requests? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, Matt, what's going on? So I um, she's like, let's go back down to South Florida. She had gotten a job. I'm like, absolutely. Um, so I came down to South Florida. I worked at a firm for a little bit of time. Um, also doing government related work as well as construction work, commercial litigation. And uh, I'm now at Shapiro Blazy Wasserman Herman. I do commercial litigation. I do still do a lot of government related work. Um, and I'm, I don't want to call myself a jack of all trades because that's it's not quite what we want in this world. I, I specialize in construction. I specialize in commercial litigation, but in those realms, I do plenty of things. Yeah. Well, I know, I know that, that bit too, because I feel like, you know, I do a lot of construction work too, but I also do a lot of premises and trucking work, but then it's like, but you know, I do a lot of, you, there's a lot, you can figure yeah. a lot of other stuff out along the way. We don't like to pigeonhole sure. ourselves. Right. So, you know, how was it going from working in, in government to then making the transition over to like firm life? Cause it is quite different. Oh yeah. It was so weird. Um, in government, it, it was more or less like an assistant general counsel. I mean, it, I mean, that was the title, but it really did feel like a general counsel's office, like at a, at a mid-sized company. Um, so billing wasn't the issue, but I always had to be cognizant, right? I, I'm, I'm not a profit center, right? I'm, I'm, I'm here to assist members of the agency and the government and what they're doing and making their job better. Um, so I tried the hardest not to be like a no man and try to facilitate, you know, uh, let's, let's make it work. Let's try to make it work. So then I go into firm life and I'm, I'm learning how to bill and gosh, uh, that was right. Like learning how to bill. I mean, you're, you're like, all right, 10.6 review documents. And you know, <laughs> that's getting cut. So, <laughs> right. You're like, that's not, that's not going to work. So I, I started doing that and starting to understand how to bill. And I also understood that it's okay to say no, especially when there are scenarios where there is so much exposure, there's so much risk. Um, and it's okay to do that. And that's kind of what I learned in private, uh, private life. And I've also, you know, I, I still took with me, like, let's, let's find creative solutions to make things work. But I definitely, uh, I definitely saw the difference between the two types of employment. And I think Nate can probably relate because Nate, you, you, you didn't start in, um, at, in a law firm either, right? No, actually, it's, it's such a similar path yeah, that I took. I, I, after, after undergrad, I worked for a, a school choice nonprofit in government. I wanted to go into government. Cool. And in the, in the process of doing that, I, I thought about law school. What I did was maybe twice a week, I would take an attorney out to an informative lunch, right? Like I would just say, hey, there's so many attorneys. It was Harrisburg, the state capital of Pennsylvania. I would take attorneys out to lunch. I would say, how do you like your job? What do you do? How do you, you know, what are the good things? What are the bad things? Tell me about law school. And I probably took 25, 30 attorneys to lunch in like a, a year. And it was great. It was, it was a really great experience. Um, and I found out through that process, you know, like you said, that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I wanted to go through. But before I joined this firm, after law school, I worked for a, 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 another government, quasi-government group. And when I came to this firm, the billing thing, again, just shocked me. I mean, it just blows your mind. Yeah. And, and, um, and I had some friends that worked at other firms who they could bill that way. They could be, today's my day, 8.0 work on this case. And they would be fine and no problem. And, and I started to do that. And it was a quick realization that not only do you need to break it down, you need to break it down by email, by blink, oh, yeah. by breath, you know? So it was, it was a real learning curve for me. Uh, whereas like Megan came from a different firm, so she was used to it. But, you know, for me, it was a real kick in the face, you know, having to do that. Well, I, but I, I, I will say billing, it, it, like once you get into it, though, 
like you can't get out of it. Like in my, my non-lawyer friends, I'm like, well, like I just think in six minute, six minute increments and they think I'm crazy, but I'm like, well, I'm just trained to think that way. <laughs> like I just, that's how I structure things. It is. I, I had someone, I think it was on LinkedIn, I posted about billing and someone was like, well, how do you possibly bill in po- uh, a point one or a point two? And I'm like, how do you not bill a point one or point two? I don't under, where's the disconnect? I thought, I, I honestly thought I was like, are you crazy? You don't bill in a point one or point two or a point three. You know, you read an email, it's a point one. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It's really changed my, the way I think about things still. Like how much time am I spending? Oh, 12 minutes, 12 minutes. Okay. Right. I, I, I joke around my wife about that. She's like, can you clean the apartment? I'm like a 0.7. I don't have time for a 0.7 today. You know, I have maybe a 0.2 available for you. So let me know. So we, we joke around about that. Yeah, there are times that talking. comment will not go well. No, and it, it I never would imagine as well. <laughs> I, I'm going to try. I got to try it. That's so funny. I'm definitely yeah. taking that. I'm like, oh, well, I got a 0.4. Make it quick. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Oh, well, we're about to go down a rabbit hole. Let's climb out of <laughs> <laughs> so um and through your experience at when you first started working at at a law firm like how was it starting out like did you have like a mentor who kind of guided you through you know how to transition into law firm life or were you just kind of like left to the wolves to figure it out on your own so i've heard and i've heard stories from friends of both scenario um i was very fortunate to have a group, not even just one mentor, but I really had about three when I started in the same office that um, really like held my hand effectively and, and, and got me where I needed to be. So they, they taught me how to bill. They taught me how to, especially for in, insurance defense related work. So taught me how to do initial reporting, um, how to be diligent and make sure you're responding properly to a carrier, to a client. Um, they really did, uh, you know, mentor me in that front, but I have heard horror stories of people popping into firms and they're like, here's this big stack of papers, um, go wild. And, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's definitely crazy, but luckily I didn't have that experience. Well, I, I do think there, there is a, a plus and a minus to each side. I mean, when, when you're in that scenario that you just get a stack of whatever and you're told to go, go wild, I didn't personally have that experience, but again, I know people who, who did. And there is something to be said about learning things on, on the fly. I mean, the negative is you might not learn how to do things correctly, but True. you certainly learn how to figure things out and think creatively, I think, while you might make some mistakes along the way. Um, I think there is certainly a, a learning positive to that, that scenario. I'm glad I didn't have to do it. <laughs> I'm glad I had some mentoring and training, but I, I know a lot of like, and I think it's a lot of times it's in the, either large defense firms that have like tons of associates and it's like a churn or even the, the smaller plaintiff's firms that they just don't have, you know, the, the infrastructure yeah, and resources sure. to really train everybody. But they still end up turning out to be, I think, decent attorneys. Yeah, I mean, listen, there, there's something to be said for on-the-job experience where you're right, you're, you've got 400 motion calendar hearings and you're going every day and you're arguing in front of that judge or multiple judges and you're really getting that experience. And I mean, as much as you're being, you know, you're right, like kind of taken to the wolves, you are getting real valuable experience regardless. So I, yeah. that's a, I think that's a very fair point. 
I mean, you might learn a lot of it, some of it, the the hard way, you know, when you get, <laughs> you get, Motion you get sanctions. <laughs> ripped a new one, but yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I have very vivid recollections of certain attorneys who work for those firms on like motion days and they would have, you know, their stack of motions they had to respond to. And it was just like, you just got to find that guy, you know, that's the guy that they sent over today <laughs> from that firm. And there's always, it always happens where there's always one person who goes up in front of the judge, right? And says, your honor, I'm just, I'm just covering this one. I, oh. And then we're all in the back, right? We're all in the back. We're like, oh, no. <laughs> the worst possible yeah. thing you could say. Yep. They did it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yep. yeah that's like that i think that is like almost the kiss of death like you, you just have to own it and just even if it's not yours you got to walk in step in those shoes and own it like it is cause... oh yeah your, <laughs> your honor i'm so sorry i i i i, I should have been more prepared for this hearing i apologize greatly this is totally on me but i've seen it man or someone's like listen this is the partner's fault i'm just, <laughs> I'm just a body it's a pleasure to meet you, Your Honor. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> and then you, and then you go back to the firm and you say it's a pleasure to meet you because you've been fired for that. Yeah. Like, exactly. You get kicked out of court, like, you get out of your firm, and you go on the street. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine going back to the office and going to the senior partner and be like, "Well, I lost, but I, I threw you under the bus." The whole yeah. It's cool. Don't order the transcript. Do not order the transcript. The, the, the court reporter was sick anyway. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well. And that, that just actually brings, and I've asked Nate these, this question, I think before, since mm. we're joking about this, can you think of like an embarrassing moment that you, you personally had to go through like that in, in front of a judge or in the office or at a deposition? Gosh, I, well, actually even fairly recently, I mean, I think everyone has a story now, but I mean, so during a deposition, I, it was a construction defect deposition, you know, and those, I mean, gosh, there's like 50 people online and it was Zoom call. And um, my cat uh, wants to do it <laughs> somehow, right? Like he's he's like, I don't have thumbs, but I could figure this out. So he um, walks across my computer and like unmutes and un, um, like, I guess like un, you could see the screens. He started the video and you just see my cat just kind of strolling across and he doesn't do it fast either because that's just how cats are. So he's just gradually <laughs> going across the screen. <laughs> And I'm, I'm, and I'm like, I like had my back turned for a moment because I didn't think anything was going on with the screen. I turn and there's just this cat just perusing across the deposition. I don't know if anyone caught it. If you caught it, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry was for this, stopping your line of questions. Was this before or after the, the video with the guy with the, the cat filter face? Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was way before. Dang it, I could have gone viral. <laughs> yeah, that would have been your big ticket. You're doing these memes and TikToks. That could have been it. I know. You, know, you could take it oh, off. You're that guy with the really slow cat. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm Matt. It's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> well, that's actually not too bad. I mean, we I think we all throughout the last year and a half had, you know, I've had so many moments that my my kids were under me or they're popping yeah. behind me or to the side or um I've had so like there's been times I've been on these podcasts and I have a group of like 10 kids outside like screaming and hollering, putting each other in like trash cans and stuff. And I just have to act like the, awesome. all, all is normal. <laughs> It's fine. Don't worry about it. There's nothing behind you. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to see here. <laughs> well, see, that's what I love about, you know, I mean, about like kind of all of this, right? We've, because we're at home, we're doing all these things. We've kind of shown our human side. And it's awesome because I'm, for the longest time, I'd see an older lawyer, right? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, they're so polished. They're like a machine. They're killing it. And then like, you're right. You hear maybe their kids in the background or you see an yeah. animal 
or you hear some somebody yelling in their house and I'm like oh they are human awesome all right good to know yeah or even like when you're talking to clients on the phone and now that they're home like I I, now I know my client's dog's names because I can hear them whining (laughs) you know and I'm like oh how's she doing (laughs) you know give her a bone and it but it it makes it, it normalizes so much because before I mean I still shush my kids when they're when they try to interrupt me because I am on a work call and it's a little different from a dog but like it normalizes it like everyone is has things and they all everyone has things outside of work and it's kind of nice when you see some of those those things agreed it's it's I just it makes again it makes me feel better because I think as a younger attorney when I come in and when most of us come in we're like oh my god these people are so much better than me and they're so polished you get that imposter syndrome everyone is everyone knows what they're doing i have no idea what i'm doing and there i am like i've had this happen where i'm in a deposition i saw someone unmute on their line and their video and they were doing laundry (laughs) and (laughs) it was like it was just before a break so it was probably justified and i saw that and, and and i'm like i know this attorney this attorney is stellar he is really good and you know it made me feel better i was like you know what we're all normal people. We're all doing the job and, and no one's a robot and superior. And it kind of takes away that imposter syndrome, especially for a younger guy like myself. Yeah. So, so speaking of which you're back in the office, um, yeah. is, have you, is your firm moved completely back a hybrid uh, work from home when you want, or, or do you just choose to come in? We are all back. I think if you wanted to work from home, we now have the capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking to you through a work laptop that I've just been moving. Mm-hmm back in front uh, from home, but yeah, we're, so I guess, yes, we're back at home, but it can be a hybrid if you need it to be. Mm, okay. Um, so, and I, I wanted to transition over to, the, over to your, I guess, I, I, w- I want to call it your, your branding. You're the millennial, am I getting, you're the millennial attorney. So how did you come up with this? Cause I love it. I think it's such a, a great way to promote yourself, but it also, you know, it kind of gives people an like a different an idea of like how you might approach cases different and with a fresh like a fresh look. I appreciate it. Um, I gotta start making shirts or something. Um, uh, oh, Matt, yeah. lawyer. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna be the only one that buys them, but at least somebody is. Well, your wife um, might wear one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. uh, so, I coming up with the brand. I think it it started more or less. I think I started using the, the hashtag originally because maybe it was a little catchy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm millennial. I do want people to know me for that. And then I think I posted on LinkedIn and I was so angry one day because I was just getting thrashed, not because of my skill as being an attorney, but being my age. And I posted a, a long post and I said, I don't have to have gray hair to be good at my job. Granted, I do have some gray hair, it's hiding, but I, I don't have to have gray hair to be really good at my job. I can be a fantastic attorney and just be a little bit younger than the rest of the crowd. So people were super receptive to it. I realized, you know, maybe, maybe the millennial, I guess, generation, because, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, oh, they only eat avocado toast and they're, you know, they're lazy and they're procrastinators and whatnot. Like, well, maybe there needs to be a voice of somebody coming in there saying, Hey, as a younger guy, I, I, I work hard. I work hard and I, I produce great work product. And we look at things a little bit differently uh, because of how we grew up. I mean, we grew up in, we, I think we were more or less the generation that really grew up technologically with it. I mean, the next generation, oh my gosh, they're leaps and bounds away from us, but at least how we started. So like for me, like how I look at a claim now maybe is I look at a claim more or less in analytics. I look at a claim and I say, all right, 
at the very beginning, how much is this claim going to cost to defend it? Um, how much do I believe reasonable settlement value is as I sit here today? Um, looking at other claims of a similar caliber that we've personally dealt with, um, how many of those claims did we win on summary judgment? How many of those claims did we not win on summary judgment? How many claims did we, we actually take to trial to verdict? Um, how many of them settled just before trial? And I look at all these numbers and you could look at it and it kind of spits out, all right, this is, these are, this is at least what I think is going to happen with this claim. This is what I believe reasonable settlement value. If we think we're going to settle, this is the cost of defense. And I think maybe as a millennial, that's kind of the new thing for us is we're looking at everything much more analytically and much more data-driven because we, we have the capability to do so. Yeah. And I, I love that too, because it's kind of the same <clears throat> approach that we take to like at the very beginning of a case, you should at least in the first 30 to 60 days, you should have a good idea of like how much it's going to cost and what you're, how you're getting out of this and be able to tell your client, like, look, we can pound the road for two years trying to get that win for you at trial, but it's going to cost you, you know, $120,000 or we can settle it probably soon for 30. Like, <laughs> What, what do you want to do? <laughs> like what, what looks more appealing on your side? And it's also client-based. Not all clients want to hear that. Sure. Like some clients don't, they, they want to push it down the road or they, everyone's a little bit different, but I think being able to step in and have that look, outlook at the very beginning is very valuable. And it's different than what I think has always been done, you know, throughout time, I should say, like, I think it's a change. Yeah, I think I think certainly when you look at older attorneys, and you were talking about this, Matt, how do you compete with older folks that have all this experience or they look at you and you have less experience? And if you read their bios, they've been doing it for 35 years, they've done all these trials and everything. But I do think the more I meet folks that are in their 60s, they're kind of the twilight of their legal career, the more I see that they're they are very focused on putting their head down and defending it from the get-go. Don't mm -hmm. don't look at the myriad of ways you can resolve this. And it's not everyone, of course, I'm generalizing, but it's just I think back in the day, it was very much like you get a claim in take depths, do discovery, just defend it, whatever, and then maybe resolve it right before trial. And now there's so many ways to do this with mediations, virtual mediations, court-driven court arbitrations, non-court-driven arbitrations. I mean, it, there's so many ways to do this at the outset or even just informally over the phone that I think your generation and, and younger folks in general look at that much more from the front end and they have the technology to, to look at past claims quickly. I mean, we can, in our firm, I'm yeah. sure you're too, we can look at all the past claims that have the same injury, involve the same product in the same venues, in, in 30 seconds. And I don't think that was the case in, in the eighties, certainly or in the nineties. Right. And, and I um, have to point out, like, sorry to interrupt the, the, a lot of good. those older, more, more, more experienced seasoned attorneys are the same ones that would put, have a written timesheet. They probably put an 8.5 review file and that, <laughs> right. and that would be just fine. <laughs> I mean, we are under different metrics these days and a lot of the, the carriers have outside, outside vendors who are analyzing our bills down to the point one and you know you have to be very very detailed and exact about things so you like all our analytics are being looked at on the carrier side as well oh, so yeah. we need to have them on our end to be able to be competitive i couldn't agree more it's we're going to reach an inflection point at some point where it's like you you so like almost like a, in an initial report i may be asked okay right now i want i want to know the data I want to know the data and what your firm believes at this time, you know, actual real chances are of, you know, settling before summary judgment, settling before trial or, or get, getting actual data included at the very forefront. So an, uh, an adjuster, a desk adjuster can look and say, 
no, we're settling this now. Or no, we're going for it. And, and you can make those decisions much earlier, you're right, than going just before trial and settling. Right. And sometimes the hardest decision, the hardest thing to do is, is convince the insured. I don't know if you, if we report to both, I'm sure you do too. Yeah. And so oftentimes the, the carrier will say, just as a pure rubric for, for numbers, right, the value. But then when you try to tell the insured, the person that made the product or the, you know, whatever the person put their heart and soul into it, it's tougher to say, yeah, let's pay out on this when it's when they in their mind think that it could have been avoided or their safety features should have been used, et cetera. So there's definitely a dynamic between convincing yeah. just the value-based carrier and then the emotion-based sometimes insured. It's true. I mean, it, it's it's the beauty of the tripartite relationship, right? Like I, I my client is always the insured and forever will be the insured. And and those and I get it, right? I get that as well, because there's also a goodwill factor in terms of settling a case, like maybe they seem, they feel exposed at that point and maybe more will come, more claims will come. And that's, it's hard. It's definitely a juggling act to make sure everyone's interests are, you know, are properly handled, especially the insured again, who's ultimately your client. Right. Now, have you, since, you know, you, you've started um, your, your marketing branding or anything have you gotten any pushback from any of you know without naming names or firms or anything like that have you gotten pushback as to like how how you're approaching things yeah i've gotten <laughs> i've gotten um <laughs> yeah i've gotten it um i've gotten it um i'll, I'll, I'll say that um it's different right uh, i think if you're not bound by a law firm if you're not bound by those kinds of um situations uh, you could probably, um, and for anyone listening, my paralegal, who's the greatest paralegal of all time, just dropped something off on my desk and she's a rock star. Um, so, <laughs> so um, camera time, bring on camera here. Listen, just listen. walked out. I wish she stayed. Oh, okay. uh, shout out to Yoli. She's killing it. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, listen, I'm getting some pushback. I'm getting pushback and, and, and not to go to speak very aggressive, but when you're not bound by a law firm, you're not, you know, you're not, uh, you could say what you want. And when you're in a law firm, there's always the fear of, of uh, upsetting a client, upsetting um, a carrier, upsetting a, another referral source or what have you. So I've definitely heard from some older attorneys, and I'm not saying at my firm, and I'm not saying at previous firms right. that I've been a part of, but generally speaking, I've heard uh, some comments and I've seen the, the wag of the finger. That being said, there's, right? I'm like, don't do that. I'm like, this is virtual. I don't even know how you're doing this. So um, <laughs> So, but that I've seen this outpour of support from attorneys that are, um, that love it, that love to laugh, that love to see the human side of the legal profession, that love that we can take a legal topic and we can condense it into a meme, a GIF, a video, a TikTok quickly and concisely. So the general public knows what we're doing and knows within 60 seconds. So I've gotten uh, definitely some hate and, and some love. Well, but you can't, I mean, you're always going to get some hate. And when you get some hate, you know, yeah. you're doing something right. But what I think is so beautiful about your approach is you're in a way you're dumbing down like the nitty gritty of some legal issues. So the general population may be able to understand it. Isn't that what we want to do for a jury or, or yeah. even to a client or an insured who might not be as familiar with the, the legal aspects, but if you're able to explain something in lay person's terms so anyone can understand that is what we're supposed to be doing 
you know, I mean, in addition yeah. to evaluating the la 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 and all that stuff, sure. but like we need to translate and make things understandable. And I think what you're doing is doing it in a, a perfect way that is like relatable too. I appreciate it. it it's like, I, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a friend of mine reach out to me fairly recently. And he goes, look, don't look at me funny. Don't think I'm, I'm stupid, but what is mediation? I don't understand what mediation, right. me, mediation is. I don't understand even the concept. And I'm like, you're not stupid. I was like, have you ever been to a mediation? No. Do you know who, anyone who's ever been in mediation? No. There, is there any reason for you to, to, to even know what a mediation is? There's any, any situation where you'd have to know? No. All right. It's not a big deal. A mediation for everyone listening, a mediation is a room where we get in with a neutral third party who tries to facilitate some sort of deal between the parties, right? So I show up with my client, maybe if it's an insurance company who's paying the bill as a carrier, uh, the other side shows up with their client and we just try to reach some sort of resolution at some point in time during litigation. And I explained that to him and he was like, look, I appreciate it. No one has ever taken the time to explain a concept like that. And it kind of dawned on me, like, I, I don't have to be a lawyer all the time. I can, I can, we can explain things in it, right? You're right. Exactly. In a very human way and get everyone on board. So everyone can have a meaningful conversation about some of these legal topics. Right. It's the same, like same idea with deposition and I'm guilty of it. I, I throw on deposition, like all my friends who work in yeah. like PR understand what it means. <laughs> and it's like, they probably don't, but they probably nod and be like, sure, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever you say yeah. <laughs> sounds legally. Um, but it, it like, sometimes we have a tendency to throw out, you know, these terms that we just presume that the, the party on the other end knows what we're talking about. And you have to kind of bring it back a little bit and, you know, explain it or yeah. just, not bore your friends with you know work stuff <laughs> well i always assume if it happened in one movie everyone knows that's my whole thing right so if i, right? If I say deposition they're like what i'm like you know jesse eisenberg and the social network the, the movie was kind of based around a series of depositions so what, what? i'm like whether everyone was at a table and they're questioning oh that i didn't know it was called a deposition i mean right. so i just but i just assumed everyone cross-examination a few good men everyone knows it but they don't know it's cross-examination they just know exactly. you can't handle the truth <laughs> so and that doesn't really explain it all stuff so. Anyway, but yeah, I, I, I think it's a great way to explain things. I think that one of the things that works so well with, um, who's the other, um, I'm going to forget his name, Alex Sue, is that his Alex name? Sue? I mean, That's he, great. That, yeah, and, yeah, and you you both do awesome stuff. But the cool thing is we're in such a stodgy uh, career. <laughs> you know, if we were comedians, making funny memes wouldn't be that outrageous. But the fact yeah. that people look at attorneys as being so black and white and serious and stodgy and you make memes, it's like, I think it shows a whole other side of the person's personality. And I think a potential client would look at that and say, well, the person clearly knows what they're doing. I mean, they can look at your education and your background and everything, but I'd want to call them on the phone and talk about a case because it wouldn't be drab. It wouldn't be terrible right. to talk yeah. to this person twice a week for so for, for two years while litigation is going on, you know? Yeah. Couldn't right. agree and, more. and also like the, again, it goes back to the ability, like when they, when people see that you're able to like boil things down and kind of put some humor into it, that when you're talking to a, a client or a, a claims adjuster or something on the phone, you're not gonna be like, well, in the, the case, you know, Collins versus, you know, Jordan, this is <laughs> what the holding was. Like, uh, <laughs> which, <I> compute? <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, I don't know many people who do that either, but I think it just, it humanizes uh, us a little bit. Um, and it humanizes the insurance industry as well, you know, and I think that, 
you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people in, in claims and there is this big need on the side of insurance to humanize the insurance industry. So it's not, you know, the big bad insurance company, but more so like, exactly. look, we are trying to help you. We are, we are trying to help our insureds or we're trying, or we're trying to help the claimant, but it's just a matter of how much, <laughs> you know, we might not be helping you a million dollars. We just have to figure okay. out what's appropriate. Agreed. It, it, it's, I think, is it reptile theory? Is that what the theory is where these companies are getting reptile where they're, they're, they're uh, almost inherently the bad guy. Like they've just yes. been locked yeah. into this role. Um, and I, I apologize to anyone listening if I just butchered what the theory ultimately is, but I, I agree. That's the problem too. Also with the insurance industry is you're already losing. You're already on the losing side the moment you step in. Uh, and I agree. If we could provide such a human perspective and people really understand the other side and not, you're right, just this robotic company that almost as people look at it, it's almost like a bankroll, right? Oh, where's the insurance check? Where's the insurance check? I mean, that really, I believe, would do wonders, especially in the age of nuclear verdicts, where that's yeah. running rampant. Yeah. Uh, and Sher- Sherry Billets will probably listen and correct oh, all yeah. our, our, our use of terminology. <laughs> she like, immediately using- came to mind. <laughs> yeah. You're using reptile theory incorrectly. <laughs> I don't know. If, I think we're using it right. Sherry, let us know. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's funny that you bring up uh, nuclear verdicts, though. What is the landscape in, in Florida right now with nuclear verdicts? Because, I mean, I, especially you like where you are, Miami area, like I, I hear it's just not a good place to be. No, it's uh, I've heard it's 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 systemic, right? Like I've I've seen news articles about it, but I mean I think people have seen definitely some interesting verdicts on this side. I, if I recall correctly, there was a trucking company that got hit. Granted, the circumstances were a little weird. I don't think they showed up for the trial. They did defend up until that point. I think <laughs> they got hit for like four hundred and fifty million dollars in Quincy, why, Florida. Wait, why wouldn't they show up to trial? <laughs> I. I don't fully remember what happened. There was maybe a disagreement with counsel. I, all I know is at towards the end, something had happened where they were an empty chair. But that being said, let's say there's an empty chair at trial. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see $450 million. I think you'll see maybe $40 million and that's on the high end, but uh, it, it ended up being $450 million. I've seen verdicts down here getting in the 20, 30, $40 million. And I, I it, it's crazy. It's a bit crazy. I think, I was there another there's another one recently a mold case I think it was a hundred million dollars in Broward County or something truly absurd and again the numbers I may be inflating at this point just because I don't remember but it, it's the definitely the landscape is changing juries are changing and mm-hmm. in South Florida especially in Miami it's definitely no different yeah so and if you notice like it's, it's just trying to change for the worse yeah oh yeah so I <laughs> like and listen, that might be our fault, guys. I apologize in advance. I think <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that any millennial listening, I think you, you can't blame us for the, the rise of the avocado test, but you may be able to rise at least somewhat for the millennial, uh, the nuclear verdict. So I think there's a, I think we're, there's a fundamental difference of how we look at money. I think at this point, I think you see still a lot of celebrities on online and you see a lot of uh, billionaires and, and high value individuals that are like, you know, instinctively, like Jeff Bezos has almost, you know, some odd billions of dollars or the Kardashians have some crazy amount of money or uh, the youngest Kardashian has a billion dollars, whatever it is. Yeah. And the money starts, stops to lose its value. I think mm-hmm. we've grown up with that. I think definitely the generation below me also has grown up with even more so. So money almost has become no object, at least in my mind. Well, so even, uh, yeah, yeah I, I feel like I'll sit on a jury and someone's going to say, well, you know, 
members of the jury, uh, meds are $150,000. Like, that's not enough. He needs more than that. No, he's definitely his. I, I know how much medical costs because my health insurance is so expensive. And I know, and I've seen, sir, he, he needs at least $3 million for the future, $4 million for medical for the yeah. future. And that's just kind of, I think, how we're all starting to think. I, I mean, think that, that, sorry, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, say that. <laughs> you're the host, you're the hostess, hostess. I'll, yeah, I'm hands off. I, I was just going to say, like, as for the younger generation, I think it's even worse because, like, my kids see these, like, you know, 10 year olds on YouTube making $22 million a year. And, you know, they want a YouTube channel. And I'm all for it. If they want a YouTube channel, they can bring in $22 million a year. <laughs> Have at it. But yeah, it's like the money has no, like, it, I think the, the younger generations have money is just so like not an issue because I think when we grew up, or at least when I grew up, you know, I think things were tighter, you know, and it was just, you know, I think you just saw the, I don't, I don't know. It just seemed different than it is now. Now it's like, Oh, buy me this, get me this. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just money. Well, it's almost like publicizing if we live in the era of the Vanderbilts, right? And they were publicizing heavily the Vanderbilts. They're like, oh, look at all this money. And everyone's like, oh, well, the Vanderbilts have this. And, or let's say there was a bunch of different Vanderbilts and they were the personalities of the generation. I think maybe at that time, and I'm speculating, and some and Sherry may or another psychologist may slap me down for this, but I think maybe you would see maybe a similar result because you're like, well, they have $40 trillion. I mean, it's obviously not that much money or it's a lot of money, but what's 4 million to 40 trillion? Yeah, I, I think certainly with, with the rise of, of um, celebrity with rich people, like, you know, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, those, Elon Musk, those people. I think people on juries say, if we hit them, a company for a hundred million, it's going to come out of their, of the, that person's pocket. And they have one less yacht this year, maybe. And they really help this, this person out who is really badly injured when it's not the case. The case is that that $100 million loss spread amongst everyone, and then the company might have to let people go. Everyone's premiums go up. I mean, it's, it's not the person at the top doesn't get dinged for a couple million bucks, and they just take the loss. It's going to be, it's going to affect the bottom line of this company where your friend may work, or you may have an insurance or investment uh, um, investments with that company or something like that, right? So it doesn't, it's not as clear cut as take from the person and give to the person. It doesn't yeah. work. That's anymore. an awesome point. That is a really good point. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> but, you I'm know, all, in, listen i'm in, all with all the years here, I'm like that's all the years like megan is, yeah megan has never said good point to me on any podcast so thank you for your acknowledgement well, for that one it was like in my brain i'm like I'm like, oh my god what are you doing in there man get out thank that you. was awesome wow. I'm, I'm sorry nate no i'm kidding, kidding. I, I don't say anything i just like reveal the cracks in the relationship no. with that one. <laughs> this is the last, last podcast with cbion thank you for listening <laughs> Um, no, I lost my train of thought, but, <laughs> but I do, I think, you know, taking like comparing to like the, the time of the Vanderbilts versus now, but everything's publicized now. Like we have access to so much information and, and we know so much about everybody. Whereas, you know, back in Vanderbilt time, I don't think, I don't think you didn't have the same, you didn't really know how the Vanderbilts were living. You just knew that they were rich, you know, and they owned the city, you know, like yes. if you even knew that, but now it's like, you know, everything and and you just money just seems to be no object for the like for these large companies and so i think you know it just gets like it, it, it loses its the dollar loses its actual dollar value it just it's worth a lot less in the minds of a jury i think what, what's five million dollars to 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 ten to ten billion what's five million dollars what is it five million dollars 
I mean, now in my head, I'm thinking if I made if I make a million dollars in the lottery, um, and a million dollars is still a lot of money, but but is it though? I mean, honestly, a million dollars you could really crush a million dollars rather quickly, at least in this day and age, especially with inflation. So what's $5 million? What's $10 million? Honestly, what's $20 million? And I say that and I sound so ridiculous, but I, I believe that's the mindset, at least of some juries or at least some jurors when they see what's being asked for and, 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 and ultimately what they think is fair. And of yeah. course, I think the savvy jurors uh, will, add the, will add in the rubric of the plaintiff's attorney's contingency pay, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll know, hey, 40% is not going to pocket of this person. Yeah. So. But I, I don't know, like, I don't know how savvy... I don't know how savvy the average Joe is about that relationship. I don't know. I think most people have, have had a relative at least, right? File suit at some point for something in their life. And they know that it's at least a third, if not more. I think, I don't know. I mean, maybe people yeah. aren't, I don't know. But I, I have to think they look at the person up there in the suit every day. They say, well, they got to get paid. I wonder how much <laughs> they're getting paid, you know? And now that it's, it's the, the traditional now is 40%. I don't know what it used to be, but that's a, that's a chunk. I mean, that's almost half of what the number is. So. Right. So, so going off of that, like, so Matt, you being in, in a area that has, has a larger potential exposure, I'm sure that that really does go into your initial evaluation when you're talking to your clients being like, look, we are in, this isn't a a potential nuclear verdict jurisdiction. So, you know, while I can tell you, you know, I think the pure exposure is X, it could be, you know, triple Z (laughs) if we get the, if we get in the wrong place, but, but you can't control that you i mean how do you i mean i guess sherry bell to tell us how to control it but i you're gonna get her on i want to be on when sherry comes on oh i love having. yeah we'll have her on again i love having sherry on this is the plug to sherry she's stellar (laughs) give her a call i think i filmed the podcast two two days ago and i think sherry got a shout out during that one too her ears must be ringing (laughs) gotta have like a sherry counter yeah like three today I'll have to text her after this. Be like, man, you're all over the place. <laughs> but again, so how, I mean, when when you go to your clients and the you know when you're talking about the initial your initial outlook, I mean that has to come into play that you have this you're in this potential nuclear verdict jurisdiction. Yeah, it's so I most if not all of my initial evaluations, for example, I, I make I make it known if we're in Miami, exactly, that, you know, listen, this is a jurisdiction that is, that may favor uh, higher uh, exposure verdicts or higher verdicts. And that's something I definitely want it to be known. If the facts support, hey, guys, maybe a heads up, then I obviously, you always have to report, right? You always have to report more, probably more than you probably should, but I'm, I always tend to lean on the more cautious side. So I agree. I try to report as much as I can. There's sometimes you're right. It just, it comes out of nowhere. I've heard about that happening too. Where it's it's what you believe to be a, like again a mold case or mold, especially mold in an apartment complex or something where what you would believe to be not a, a, a traditional high exposure case, um, you get hit with ten million dollars. I mean, sometimes it's like how do you even report that? Where, yeah. where, where previous verdicts maybe are in twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars. I do think something like mold though can spark a, like a very visceral reaction from people, you know, yeah. I don't, like black mold, like people just think about it invading their homes and ruining their lives. It's kind of like a bed bug situation. You mm-hmm. know, I think people would get so 
they have such personal feelings about it that I really think it can spark, even though it's all, it could, maybe the damage is only $15,000, but people be like, oh, but if I had molds, man, like that would ruin everything, you know? I think the, the key is you don't know you have it, right? Like if it's something yeah. that's visible, yeah. you're like, wow, I have that. If there's something leaking or something, but mold is like silently killing you overnight. And so, I mean, I think there's like this, you're right. There's like this seedy uh, element to it. Yeah. It's like I don't want to go against you on a mold case. That hurt. <laughs> Yeah. Well, never mind. I'm a, sto- actually, I'm a storyteller, this, man. This right I'm a storyteller. <laughs> I, I come from a Floridian perspective, which is probably my problem for talking about mold, because for me, I've always grown up and it's like, it's like there's a, there's mold because it's everything's so wet. There's mold everywhere. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's raining right now. Really? So yeah. I, I tell Beautiful. you, so that maybe, maybe mold isn't the best example. It is for me only because I just know mold is forever present, but, uh, anything of that sent a slip and fall, a general slip and fall that really result that really had minor medical issues. Same thing where you don't know it, you could have a jury and it's just $10 million out of nowhere. Yeah. But sometimes you just can't report it. Just doesn't know. How, how viable is moving outside to the counties? I'm assuming that the suburban and rural counties, I mean, so my wife is from North central Florida. So she's from uh, like 45 minutes North of Gainesville, like Waldo Stark area. Yeah. Um, and she went to UF. So I have to, I'm ob- obligated to say that she doesn't like Florida state. Okay, so <laughs> they have it. But anyway, uh, but your but, points you know, were not that good. What was that? <laughs> I have to take it back. I'm like, your points aren't that yeah, good. Thank, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you based it on that. Um, but if, I mean, if, can, can you move cases out to the counties or remove the federal court pretty regularly? Or is that, is that something that's tougher to do in the verdict in the jury's zone, the venue center? I'm sorry. I, I w- I'll say this. Rural counties, yeah, are a little bit better. Then again, there there was that verdict in Quincy, which I was talking about. Facts a little weird, but that was Quincy's um, just north of Tallahassee. Um, but yeah, you're you're. I, I would say rural counties are a little bit better inherently. Um, am I moving things to rural counties or federal court? Federal court sometimes. Rural counties, if the you know if the claim resides in Miami I'm, I'm more or less stuck right yeah yeah. yeah I mean we run into some like I, I I think of Philadelphia and Miami somewhat similarly um although I will say Philly used to be like a judicial hellhole and like the stats lately actually the defense verdicts are almost as even as plaintiff's verdicts in cool. recent years but th- I think one of the issues in Philly is is motion practice and you know the getting fair consideration of motions in Philly is not something that you get a lot of. Um, and is that something that's similar in the Miami jurisdiction for you? I won't, I, <laughs> you I won't say that. I, I won't say that because <laughs> I, I say the judiciary and all Florida is inherently fair and they're, they're doing, they're just doing their jobs and they're so any judge listening to this, you guys are so overloaded. You're great people, all of you. I'm so sorry you have to deal with all of these backlog of cases. So I won't speak to that only because I'm in front of those folks on a on a daily basis. You like that? I was like, <laughs> like if you're listening, I'm sorry. Don't <laughs> grant my motion for summary judgment. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I clearly don't care, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've actually yeah, sure talked about like, that yeah, topic on here before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I do think that's it is something when when I'm talking to a client, though, when I'm considering whether or not we want to get things moved to federal court um, out of a state court, sometimes you're in a decent state court jurisdiction, but you 
looking at it, you're like, well, but I might get a better consideration on, if we're looking at this as a summary judgment motion case, I might get a better consideration on this motion if I move it here. Also because of that backlog. I mean, a lot of the state courts are so backlogged and the federal courts just have a rocket docket and they move very quickly. So sometimes those motions get more consideration, you know, when you get it out of state court, depending on, you know, where you sit. Um, and other times you don't, but um, it's definitely something I always look at early on, be like, is, is it worth it? Is it worth the move? And if I'm looking at doing X, Y, and Z, will I get, will I have a better chance if I, if I move it? That's a fair point too. I mean, look, you, you're, you're effectively getting rid of the hearings as well once you remove to federal court. So if you've got a smooth talking attorney on the other side and you, you, know, you kind of cut their legs from under them, I mean, that's also a consideration as well. Yeah. Yeah. The federal federal bench certainly doesn't deal with the nonsense. They don't let plaintiffs' counsels uh, wait till you know month fourteen to give a demand and and uh, yeah. you know month eighteen to give their discovery responses. I mean, we just had an initial call the other day with the court in a case in New York in federal court. It was a, it was an hour and twenty minutes long, and the judge is like, "What's the demand? What's what's this case worth? Settle." It, basically, telling plaintiffs' counsel, "Settle this right. Come on, yeah. get, get, get rid of it." I mean, it's so great to have almost someone on your side. Not on your side. That sounds yeah. bad, but but sure. forcing the nonsense out, you know, as, as you go along. Agreed. So looking back at, or, or thinking towards like the, the individuals coming out of law school now, you know, what sort of advice would you give them to set themselves apart to be able to, you know, serve clients better and press upon, you know, the, the use of the law firm or the, you know, the older generation, what sort of advice would you sure. give them? So my, my biggest advice I, I say this to everybody is, is know what you're getting yourself into. We, we don't talk about the business of law. We don't talk about what goes into actually, you know, what, what are the numbers, right? So I, I posted about this really recently about yeah. profitability, knowing about profitability because it, it, it affects what you're ultimately going to get paid or knowing what billing requirements are at certain firms or knowing that certain types of law will require likely higher billable requirements because the rates are a little bit lower or, or vice versa, or certain firms where you're going to expect to see more cuts because the work is, you know, maybe they, it, it lends itself to being cut more often. So that all being said, know what you're getting yourself into. Know where you're going to be working. Don't just take a leap. The job market is stellar right now. It's absolutely stellar. Take your time and figure out exactly what uh, firm best fits you. I'm, you can look at, guys, look at my LinkedIn. I'm a, I, I am what they would call a job hopper. Um, <laughs> And I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I was, I was cautioned against it. And I'll tell you this, don't be afraid to, to leave your firm if you, don't, if you don't think it's the right fit. Now, that being said, don't hop and hop and hop and hop, but find, find the place it fits. Some place will fit for you. It won't be 100%, but it'll fit. And before you get to that place, make sure you're running the numbers and you know it makes sense to you. Don't jump in because, you know, feet first, um, with just uh, just straight an emotional uh, decision. So, I mean, I, I say that, I, I think that's something I've seen a lot of my friends and you know even myself get into and it's, it's, not, it, it's not a good result. And I mean, I, I, I saw that post that you did, it was like a week or so ago about the profitability. And I think it was such an important point to bring up and something that I think like when I was starting out, I was very unaware of, of that business side of practicing. And frankly, at that point, like, I was just trying to learn how to do my job. So I wasn't that worried about it. But as you move forward in your career, you have to be very cognizant of it. Like how much am I billing per hour? You know, how much are we getting back on that? What's getting cut from, from the bills? Like you might be billing, you know, 
200 hours a month, but if, you know, 25% of that's getting cut, then you're not that as profitable as you may think. So I think it's, it's very important to be cognizant of that and like be aware of it. And I don't think a lot of younger attorneys are. Agreed. You run into a scenario too, where it's like, maybe, listen, maybe you're super profitable. Your collections are hundred percent or 99%. Uh, your rates are high. You're doing great work. You're billing a lot. And maybe you're just underpaid. That's by knowing your profitability or at least around what your profitability is. Listen, that's a conversation you can start having with your employer. Conversely, if you're upset because you're not getting paid a lot and you're really not billing that much, your rates are kind of low and you're getting cut like crazy, don't leave. There's a reason for it. There's a reason you're not getting paid so much, potentially at least. And it may be because of your profitability. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, it also go, goes to an evaluation of like how you want to work though, too. Like, True. do you, do you want to be at, is it in like some people like to be at a place that they have, you know, 50, 50 files, you have a, a low rate per hour bill and you just churn. And mm-hmm. that, that might work for some people, other people, maybe you bill at a little higher, higher rate, you have less files and you have more time to like marinate and thick. I, I personally like that, <laughs> but everyone's a little bit different about what, what works for them. And certain things work for you at different points in your career too. True. Yeah. I mean, uh, right now, um, I don't have, I don't have children, so I don't have that, uh, to, 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 you know, effectively that, that time is, is still on my plate. So for me, I can build a little bit more. I can get a little bit more into it, but the moment we have a family or we start a bigger family, I mean, that's the biggest consideration. I want to be home and I want to have some level of work-life balance where I can take care of my kids. I'm not missing any sort of issue. You know, I, I want to, I want to be there for the football game or the dance recital, whatever it may be. So definitely that's also a consideration as well. Yeah. I I think I've had this conversation with Nate a a few times um, because that, that was a turning point for, for me because I was working, you know, my, my butt off weekends, late nights, whatever. And then as soon as I had kids, it all changed. Like, it's like, I mean, I will say when they were younger and they still napped on the weekends, I would still get stuff in on the weekends, but now it's like their weekends are full of their stuff, you know, that I want to yeah. be at and, the, or just, just be around. <laughs> so it does change your whole perspective. Um, and it definitely can change like where you are. You could be at a, you know, a firm that you're churning and then suddenly your priorities change. You're like, well, maybe this isn't the right place for me now. Cause mm-hmm. I want this balance or you just change your perspective where you are. It just depends. I've had this conversation with Nate till I was like blue in the face. (laughs) I get yelled at for emailing the firm at like 5 a.m. on a Saturday or, you know, whatever. I'm an early riser. So I'm like, you're bad. Yeah. You're bad guy, Nate. I I get, I get (laughs) stuff from Megan. Like what? Relax. Just go take a walk. I'm like, well, I'm like you, I don't have kids. So I'm, I'm trying to always pump out hours, always to market, always, you know, I'm trying to always do that. And with, you know, if changes come soon with me having kids, it's going to have to be put on the back burner. So I'm trying to get it in now. I can't. Nate will be like, why is no one responding? I was like, well, you emailed at 8.30 on a Sunday morning. So just wait till tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I, I'm, the mindset is slowly changing a little bit. Um, and I, I think I got an email on a Sunday around like, I don't know, it was maybe like 10 or 11 a.m. And I looked at that email and I was like disgusted with the sender. No offense, Nate. I'm not, I'm not attacking you. Thanks a lot. But in that particular moment. <laughs> was like, Listeners, it was Nate. It was Nate who sent that email. <laughs> we don't work together. I swear it wasn't Nate. Uh, but no, I, I get it. I understand. And I agree with you, Nate. Like it, it's at that point, you know, I think priorities will change. And from there, it's another conversation. It's another, um, it's an evaluation or reevaluation of what, you know, what you're ultimately doing. Right. Yeah. And I mean, 
it kind of changes the course of the podcast a little bit, but I mean, it also, I mean, I think firms now through, especially through like this whole pandemic, I think everyone's becoming a little more work life friendly, Mm -hmm. um, than before since work life was just all together. But I think there's also a a negative too. I think it also, since everything kind of joined together, everyone's like, well, you can always be at work because that works at home and, you know, everyone's home. So there's a, you know, where are you going? <laughs> no one's going yeah. anywhere. Yeah, Mike, we did a, one of the podcast guests, Matt, was my dad. My dad's a psychologist. And we talked about, you should listen to it. It's a, I think it's a pretty good podcast. But we talked yeah. about, you know, some of the differences between working in the 80s and 90s and now. And he said, it's great that you're always available. You're always on. You're always, you know, can make you can avail yourself to clients and they can avail themselves to you. But he said, there's something to be said psychologically for the drive home, the walk home, the bus ride home, the, the train ride home to decompress and get ready for family life. And he said, you know, you know, when he, he's a professor, he's starting his 43rd year at the same university. He's a professor. He said, when I first started, my syllabus would be half a page or my, my you know, my syllabus would be half a page and at the bottom would say, do not contact me outside work hours. Now he has his personal email, his personal phone, his cell phone, call me anytime. I mean, he said, that's just what's expected now. What's expected is, is, is availability at every moment, all the time. And he said, that, that's really draining. And there's something, like I said, there's something psychologically a benefit to I'm on my way to work. Let me get in work mode. I'm on my way home from work. And now I'm done. It's 530. I'm done. And I can focus on other stuff. Now it's never like that. It's never like that. It's, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, I didn't think we were going to talk about the burnout, but the burnout is definitely <laughs> like, right. The burnout is, is probably one of the biggest problems. I think for millennials is look, I've got, I've got my phone right here. These are the notifications you could see already guys. Uh, <laughs> right. So it's, 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 it's a reality, you know, you, you really, you'd like to shut off the phone, you'd like to shut off the computer, you'd like to shut off everything, but it's, it's, oh, it's omnipresent, it's always there, the work never stops, or at least it doesn't stop unless you can figure out a way to control your life and control your schedule, and that's something that comes with time, it comes with experience, listen, for the longest time, same thing where I'm just sitting behind a desk and I'm just billing, 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 billing. Night and day, I'm, I'm taking phone calls at, you know, at 10 o'clock on a, on a Tuesday, 10 p.m. or 11 or 12, or, and I'm still going. And it, it takes a conscious effort to kind of pull yourself back and maybe shutting off the phone or maybe shutting off the social media for a minute, which I know for me is a problem, but <laughs> shutting, off, <laughs> shutting off the computer and, and putting on an out of office on your email. And it's, but I agree, it's, 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 ever present and it's been resulting in a lot of burnout for especially some of my friends and listen I've felt it I've definitely felt it myself yeah Yeah, I mean I I think um I think everyone gets it you know I felt especially again I keep bringing it back to this past year but this past year I think the burnout felt Mm -hmm. especially hard because you don't have that we didn't have that drive home or you you know I I actually worked from home quite a bit before the pandemic but then suddenly when my kids are home too like it just felt very like the walls were kind of were closing in like you just didn't have that that decompression time. Um, I mean, even now, you know, it's like, okay, I work till five 30. Then you just you shut your computer. You're like, okay, now, now I have to get off to the, you know, bring someone to swim practice, bring someone here and that. So, you know, I think it's more important than ever to like schedule that time that you like, you take the long weekend and you take yeah. the, you know, the Monday or the Friday off, you take a whole week vacation and you actually do not check email. And you, you realize that like, okay, like if there's an emergency, there's someone else who can it can handle it. Mm-hmm. If not, it can probably wait a week, you know, but it's hard. No, I agree. <laughs> I, I stopped myself and I'll admit this on this podcast. I stopped myself from posting it. 
at least what I believe to be a fairly aggressive LinkedIn post on, on hustle culture, right? Well, I, I'm sure you guys have seen it like those videos and uh, where it's like, you to be rich, you need to work every day of your life, every moment at every time you have to skip birthdays and funerals and, and, and everything that you hold dear in your life, you need to skip it and hustle and, and grind, hustle and grind, hustle and grind. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't, I just can't get behind it anymore. I think I agree with COVID, especially where we're all, we were constantly on you just, it's, it, it's not conducive to, to living. I, I, I think you'll yeah. burn out and you're, it just, it, it doesn't end well for anybody. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think like that hustle and grind, I wish in a way, I wish I could be that person. I think I was at one point, but now I'm like, I can't like, I just, there's, there's too many other things to do. To yeah. You have <laughs> like, to live your life. <laughs> right. And I don't want to go look back, you know, when I'm, you know, old and gray and be like, Oh, I bet I missed you know, these years, because I was so, you know, I was so focused on just the hustle and grind that I missed yeah. like these, these magical, you know, years, even if, it, even without kids, like, I don't want to miss this time of my life too. Like work is important, but life is important. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So we are just about out of time, but I, I have one final question for you. So it's a doozy. You know, <laughs> Which one it's gonna be? <laughs> it's about avocado toast. They're really good. these are the personal ones. We get ready. All right, let's do it. Oh man, now you're under pressure. Now I'm like, oh, I'm which sorry. Of, no. Which of my catalog of end of questions should I do? Yep. Okay, I might have two. All right. So the, <laughs> this this is I think this is less hard. So if you know if you weren't an attorney, what other career do you think you would be or be in? I've done a lot of shout outs on this podcast. I'm going to shout out to my mom on this one. Um, I probably, because of her, her, her guilt, I probably, loving guilt, I probably would have been a weatherman. I probably would have been on the news and been a meteorologist and been like, today it's raining. Well, it's raining right now. So today, currently it's raining. So, <laughs> that would have, shout out mom, you won this one. So uh, it would have been a, a weather person. What so about like, politics? You, you said yeah. you were interested in politics. What about going yeah, back to I liked that? The, I love the government work and I love, I wanted to go into politics. I wanted to be a lobbyist or uh, someone that was working, you know, uh, inside of these agencies. And it's watching sausage being made. You might not oh. want to eat sausage anymore. So I'm, I'm happy with just telling people how, look, I watching how weather made it is being made is cool. I'm, I'm all for that. So I, I'm happy to be a weather person in, in that. Yeah. And you only need to be like right 60% of the time. That's it. Let's see. That's, <laughs> right now I have to be a hundred percent. 60 is a dream. <laughs> I, had I, this, I, I had this vision for you, Matt, where like Marco Rubio ends, Marco Rubio ends his tenure and you take over as the new Florida state <laughs> Senator. I, I just could see that happening, you know? And um, that would be funny. That would be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and See, that wasn't that hard of a question. Nate. No, it wasn't that. Well, bad. that's because I said something. You, you dumbed it down a little bit. No, that was my original question. But oh, okay, okay. I mean, do you, do you want to ask a hard question? No, I, I don't <laughs> like the hard question. It's so we, crazy. We did what, this. Nate and I did no, a podcast. We, I just asked him hard. Like, we asked each other hard questions. We didn't know what each other were going to ask. And he would be like, ask me these softballs. And I'd be like, so what was your childhood like? No. <laughs> I was like, I expect her to get out a pen and pad and I lay down on the couch and she takes notes. I expected that to be, the, you know, like dissecting my childhood. Oh my gosh. What's the second question? I'm, I'm so nervous. All right. No, this one's no, that's not bad. Um, okay. It's more fun. So what's one movie that you can watch over and over regardless of how many times you've seen it? 
Mm. See, this is a hard question. What? Guys. Well, Nate picked like the whole Avengers, you know. I, I just said <laughs> the Marvel movies are fun. I can watch, like I, my favorite movie is Braveheart, but I can't watch it every day. So that would be intense, that's right? Fair. So like, but like, if, like, if like Iron Man's on, I'm like, okay, that's mindless. I can Nate, do that. Nate was like basically this catalog of 25 movies oh, I can watch I at any point. <laughs> what did you say? Princess Bride? What was your answer? Oh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, that's right. Okay. It's uh, Step Brothers. Yes, that was my second one. I love Step Brothers. Wow. I can watch it every single day. Yeah, me too. Good choice. Good choice. So much oh, yeah. more room for activities. <laughs> drum set. And- Damn drum set. Oh, I love that movie. So anyway, Matt, it was so great having you on. Why don't you let um, our listeners know where they can find you so they can follow you on, on LinkedIn and you know see the content that you put out. I appreciate it. So my LinkedIn, I think my link is linkedin.com slash Florida trial attorney. Okay. Uh, you find me on LinkedIn just by looking me up, Matthew Margolis. I or Matt Margolis. I'm based in Boca. My email, if you want to get a hold of me and listen, if you're a younger attorney, especially, and you just want to talk, I'm, I'm, I'm open. Just please give me a call or send me an email. My email is mmargolis at sbwh.law. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on uh, and, you know, hope to have you on again in the future. We'll, we'll have to get Sherry in. We already got all these guests. Maybe your mom. You know, we get a lot of people. so many shout outs. We just have to do individual people for the shout outs. <laughs> your cat. Do we have your cat, please? <laughs> it's the best slow walking, right slow walking cat. Yeah. I'm not a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to be awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks so much.